Welcome to Addiction in Simple Terms. My name is Dr. Julian Keats. I'm a specialist in addiction medicine with over 10 years experience assessing and treating drug-related problems. And in this podcast, I explain some of the important ideas in addiction to help you make sense of your experiences and hopefully make some changes for the better in your life. This is episode six. In previous episodes, I've looked at how addiction works in the brain, how addiction, substance dependence and substance use disorders are diagnosed, why people use drugs and the factors that influence the progression from experimental or occasional use to ongoing regular use, and how some people get stuck in a cycle of addiction. In this episode, I'm going to give some introductory background to the treatment of drug-related problems by providing an overview of how drug use affects not just individuals and families, but also wider communities and society as a whole. And then I'm going to look at the different ways society responds to drug-related problems and where treatment services sit in that response. I tend to use the term drugs or drug use because it's easier to say than alcohol and drug use or substance use. But when I use the term drugs, please know I'm referring to all drugs of addiction, whether they be legal like tobacco and alcohol, illegal, like cannabis, methamphetamine, ecstasy, MDMA, cocaine or heroin, or pharmaceutical and prescription drugs, such as OxyContin, Valium and Xanax. Let's make a start. I'm going to begin by reviewing some of the important concepts that we've covered in previous episodes. For those of you who have listened to the previous episodes, this will serve as a refresher. But for those of you that haven't, this will help bring you up to speed. So in past episodes, I've covered some of the factors that influence initial and ongoing drug use. These include the availability of drugs to an individual in their community, the exposure to drugs and acceptability of drug use amongst family, friends and the wider social circle individual personality characteristics, which are often shaped in earliest childhood. One's experience of trauma, mental illness and chronic pain, whether that be physical or psychological. Increased levels of stress in a person's life and the presence or absence of effective coping skills. And learned patterns of behaviour around how to obtain or achieve enjoyable or desirable experiences or how to cope with or escape unpleasant experiences. In previous episodes, I've also looked at the various patterns of drug use that we see. These can range from experimental or occasional use that often starts in teen years, to ongoing regular use that may be limited to certain situations, such as nightclubs, music festivals or sporting events, or may occur in many different situations. Some people have a pattern of frequent heavy use. And some people have a pattern of dependent use or addiction. In this dependent use pattern, we see a strong drive to continue using drugs that's hard to control and leads to ongoing drug use that's difficult to stop despite clear detrimental effects or harms. It's in these frequent heavy use or dependent use patterns that we sometimes see physical dependence emerge where there's a high tolerance to drugs and larger amounts need to be taken, 
and withdrawal symptoms occur when a person's not using. Now the harmful effects of drug use or drug-related problems can be from any one episode of use or intoxication or can be something that builds up over time with repeated ongoing use. The harms we see include health harms, social harms and economic harms. The short and long-term effects on physical and mental health fall primarily on the individual, causing injury, illness, reduced quality of life and earlier preventable deaths. The social harms, such as educational dropout, unemployment, involvement in crime, violence and detrimental effects on families and parenting, including domestic abuse or child abuse and neglect, have flow-on effects to a person's relationships and their children by impacting their role as a family member. The economic harms or impacts, such as lost productivity of the workforce, the need for financial welfare support and the costs associated with healthcare and law enforcement, fall on the wider community and society as a whole, which may need to use money from the taxpayer's wallet to provide support and services for the individual and their family. Now, the response of a caring, compassionate and responsible society to such a complex range of harms is not a simple or one-size-fits-all solution. A comprehensive response has to address not just the harmful effects of the drug use, but also look upstream and address the patterns of drug use, and look upstream from that and address the factors influencing initial and ongoing drug use. In Australia, the response to drug-related problems is guided by the National Drug Strategy, a publication produced by the Australian Federal Government that gives an excellent overview of the topics I'm discussing here and that I should give credit to because I've drawn heavily on it in this episode of the podcast. This strategy aims to prevent or minimise drug-related harm to individuals, families, communities and society as a whole through a three-pronged approach sometimes called the three pillars of harm minimisation. Those three pillars are demand reduction, supply reduction, and harm reduction. We're going to look first at supply reduction. Supply reduction aims to restrict the availability of drugs to prevent or reduce the harmful consequences of their use. In the case of legal drugs like alcohol, tobacco, and pharmaceuticals, this is primarily through controlling and regulating markets, such as through licensing schemes that restrict where, when and by whom these drugs can be sold or supplied, and placing age restrictions on who can buy them. It also means preventing or disrupting black market trade. For pharmaceutical or prescription drugs, it also means training and supporting doctors and pharmacists so that medications are prescribed appropriately and the supply chain is tracked and monitored so that drugs aren't diverted for illicit use. For the illegal drugs, supply reduction falls to law enforcement and means border controls, search and seizure efforts, preventing and disrupting illegal production and trafficking, and dismantling organised crime groups involved in production, distribution and laundering of the profits. The debate about whether possession of small amounts of drugs for personal use should be criminalised is not a debate I'm going to start here, maybe in a future podcast episode. Next, I'm going to look at harm reduction. 
Harm reduction aims to reduce the risk of harm to individuals if they're using drugs, but also to reduce the harm to others posed by risky behaviours that can be associated with drug use. Some specific examples that help reduce the harms to people using drugs include sobering up shelters, needle and syringe programs, supervised consumption centres such as the medically supervised injecting centre, pill testing, chill-out rooms and free water at raves and dance festivals, and overdose prevention and response training with take-home naloxone, the reversal agent for an opioid overdose. Specific examples of harm reduction approaches that reduce harms to community members from other people's drug use include drink and drug driving laws with random breath testing and mobile drug testing, and smoke-free area laws that reduce exposure to secondhand smoke. There are also some less specific services that are part of harm reduction, but aim to provide support, information and a point of access to further health care or referral to treatment. These include various types of drop-in centres, peer support organisations and family support services. The third pillar of the three-pronged approach is demand reduction. There's a few components to this. The first is sometimes called primary prevention and is about trying to prevent people starting into drug use in the first place or delaying their first use. Obviously, preventing drug use completely stops harm to the individual and their family, prevents drug-related social harms, improves the health of the workforce and avoids health care and other economic burdens. Delaying initiation to drug use has benefits in similar areas because the earlier someone begins using drugs, the more likely they are to continue use and to experience drug-related harm. Preventing drug use in the first place is a kind of holy grail that requires attention to many aspects of modern life. As well as fostering healthy communities and environments where drug use is not promoted, it requires social structures that support housing, education, employment, financial support, parenting skills and health care for everyone, including adequate mental health treatment and support services to help people deal with stress, adversity and mental illness in healthy ways. Primary prevention in this sense is something that probably all societies strive towards in their own way, but as yet none have quite reached, so it's not the only component of demand reduction. The next component of demand reduction is about trying to reduce harmful levels of consumption, whether that be on one occasion of use or reducing harmful patterns of use over time. This might be through providing credible and useful information about the effects of drugs and drug-related harms to the general public, through opportunistic screening and assessment when someone sees their GP, goes to the emergency department, accesses mental health treatment services, or attends pregnancy and antenatal services, or by offering linkages and referral to more intensive treatment services when someone has contact with harm reduction or peer support organisations, drop-in centres, youth services, or even unemployment and housing agencies. And the third component of demand reduction is about helping people recover from dependence and addiction, typically through more intensive interventions that are aimed at helping them change long-standing patterns of drug use behaviour. The two phases here are the getting off, which involves detoxification and withdrawal management, and the staying off, which we call relapse prevention. Detoxification and withdrawal management occurs during the initial period after a person stops using a drug. 
depending on the drug, it may last a few days or a few weeks, but on average it's about one week. During this time, the body's adjusting to not having the drug on board. The person may experience withdrawal symptoms, strong cravings and sleep disturbance, so a safe place with supportive people and no available drugs is needed in case of temptation. For some drugs, this can be done at home safely, but for other drugs, especially alcohol and sedatives like Valium or Xanax, the detoxification period can have serious medical complications and even seizures or death, so should be supervised by a doctor. Withdrawal symptoms and the risk of seizures might be managed in some circumstances using medications prescribed by a doctor. Once someone's through the withdrawal period, usually in about a week, their body has adjusted to not having the drug, but all the psychological and social factors that led them to use are still there. So detox and withdrawal on its own are not enough and always need to be supported by relapse prevention treatment of some sort. Relapse prevention treatment can take many forms. It involves making changes to your lifestyle and may mean changes to your social circle, the places you hang out and your daily routine. It also involves changing how you think, feel and act around drug use. Getting involved in some sort of psychosocial counselling and support, such as from a drug and alcohol counsellor, can help you identify risk situations for relapse, avoid triggers, rehearse drug refusal skills or how to say no, implement healthy routines and deal with things like anxiety, anger, boredom and sleep problems, all of which commonly bring people unstuck. There are various support groups around. The most well-known of these is Alcoholics Anonymous. These groups offer support and insights from people with experiences that may be similar to your own and help you realise you're not alone. Some people choose to go to a residential rehabilitation service or therapeutic community after detoxing. These are places where you live in for anywhere from a month or two to six or twelve months in some cases. They offer a drug-free environment away from temptation that's safe and supported and often staffed by people who have themselves recovered from addiction, so understand what you're going through. There's a bunch of other residents there who, like you, are at various stages of recovery, and there's usually a daily program that involves group support and learning about relapse prevention, as well as living skills, and starting to sort out issues like outstanding legal problems, finding your way back to employment, and sorting out accommodation for when you leave the rehab. For some types of addiction, there are also some medications that may help reduce the chances of relapse. They don't work for everyone, and there's no medication that will stop you if you want to use drugs. But if you are genuinely trying not to use, then there are some medications that may improve your chances of success. At present, these are mostly for preventing relapse to alcohol, nicotine or opioids. But there's a lot of research going on in this area, so it's useful to speak with a doctor about relapse prevention medications or seek out a referral to a doctor who specialises in addiction. And finally, if there are other underlying causes for your drug use, such as emotional traumas, mental illness, chronic pain or other problems, you may need to see a psychologist, psychiatrist or other relevant specialist to address these issues and improve your chances of avoiding relapse. Alright, I think that's a good place to bring this episode to a close. We've had a bit of an overview of how drug use affects not just individuals, but also families and the wider community. And we've looked at the different ways that society responds to drug-related problems and how treatment services fit into that. 
That should serve as a good background for talking in more depth about various treatment options in future episodes. Please join me for the next episode of Addiction in Simple Terms.